right. Good morning. <laughs> Good to see everybody. It's uh, been a real blessing to be here in Libby, Montana. This is actually my first time to Montana. I've been to many places around the world and here in the States, but uh, this could be uh, the place that uh, God created first. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful here. And uh, we've just been blessed to be around the people here. Uh, my name's Chris Stromland. My wife and Nikki and I have been married for 26 years, and, and we have four children from 24 down to 14, two boys, two girls, from Oklahoma, now living in South Carolina. But we originally met Justin and Miranda and, uh, and Sean, uh, I guess, uh, many years ago, and Stephen, I guess, uh, before, before Silas came along and, and uh, Samuel. But we, we also lived in China. We were missionaries on the field for 15 years and in China, as well as Nepal and Thailand. And so we're continuing to do that work. Our, our calling is to get the gospel to every place until there's no place left. So, uh, and we believe that God is doing something amazing here right now. I just want to kind of kick it off a little bit by telling you a story. Um, you know, this, this word is so important. And, and, and I just, I was thinking about what I could share with you today, and I, I just felt like uh, we needed to start with a story about one of the first churches we ever planted in r- rural China. Uh, it was a, it started with a family in, in their house, which their house was basically a lean-to between two factories. And uh, they were as poor as dirt. The, the man farmed, and the woman, she was, uh, uh, she was a street cleaner, basically, the, the lowest of lows in that culture. And uh, her name was Mrs. Pond. And she, uh, one day, I arrived on Saturday, and uh, she had bruises on her, and it was clear something had happened. And so the, the family immediately began to tell the story about the previous day she had gone out to the farm. And due to her faith, they had beat her up. They had thrown her to the ground, threatened to kill her. They just kept kept her there for about six hours and just kept beating her up. And so she came back all disheveled. I'm sitting there in my mind thinking, what do I do? What do I say? And so I just began to ask them questions. And and so the the families kind of all gathered together. They had four kids as well. And so they gathered together and they're telling me this story and they're crying and she's crying and she's just this frail little woman. And, and, and she was crying and she's telling the story about what they were doing to her. But all throughout this story, she keeps, she had this cackle of a laugh and she would suddenly break out and she'd just start, <laughs> and then she'd start crying again and telling the story. And it was just wasn't making sense. It wasn't connecting. And so, so finally, they, they talked about how eventually they began to, uh, when she got home, they all ran to the different places of their, of their little house there and they got their Bibles and they all began to sit down and they just began to pour through the word. And, and they would say, what does the word have to say about what's going on here? And then somebody would say, well, 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 it says here that we will be persecuted for our faith. It says here that, that he will never leave us or forsake us. It says here that, that, that uh, Satan can't take us out of, his hand, uh, out of God's hand. And all of these things began to happen. And so as I'm listening to this, I think this is great. Oh, this is wonderful. But I said, what is it that, you, that why do you keep laughing? And she said, because Chris, I can't believe that God wrote those words for me. I was thinking about that. How she stood in the amazed, uh, amazed in the presence of her Lord and Savior. That he had thought about her. 
And he's written these words, and they've been relevant to, to each of you at different parts of your life. And I don't, I don't know why I felt led to share that other than to say, today we're going to open God's word. And this is his words to you. It's not my words. It's his words to you. So thank you for all being here. You know, we're going to be in, if you want to turn to, to the book of Ephesians, we're going to be in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. As I was thinking about, uh, I was, you might ask, why did I come here? Uh, we're actually doing an evangelism training and discipleship training last night. We got to spend some great time together uh, and uh, learning how to share our faith, learning how to share testimonies. Uh, it, it was a beautiful time in the Word together, and it was just uh, encouraging to me. But, but why did I come all the way out to Montana, other than the fact that my wonderful friends invited me to come? But the reason I came is I was thinking, you know, I often have to filter my time. And Ephesians 1, this is, we're not going to be in chapter 1, but I would have loved to have preached on this. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, there's something unique about those verses. It's actually the longest sentence in the Bible. Now, if you turn to that, you'll see where, where is that. Actually, there's periods all throughout that. But in the Greek, it's actually one long run-on sentence. Okay. So you, get, you kids, when you go home, you try to, to, when you get home, try to say verses 3 to 14 of chapter 1 without taking a breath and see how far you can get, okay? But the beauty of that, if you read through it, what you'll see is that essentially what it's saying is what God started, Christ accomplished on the cross, and the Holy Spirit will finish in you. It will be completed. And so I was thinking about it, and I was saying, why did I come? Because they began to tell me, Justin and Miranda began to tell me about what God has started here. And they're so excited about what God is doing here. And that Christ has accomplished something for each and every one of you, and you're walking in that. And that the Holy Spirit is finishing His work, His work of sanctification to bring you more and more to be conformed into the image of Christ until you meet Him one day. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a part of partnering with the Holy Spirit to help you in that walk, to grow. But guess what? Yesterday, the Lord was using you to help me grow as well and be encouraged as we pursue no place left around the world. So, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful what God does is he uses the body and as we talk about Jesus, as we focus on the gospel to, to encourage one another. Uh, so today, um, as we begin to jump into chapter 2, I want you to think about something. I've found that people struggle with one of three things. I've asked people who... Uh, are uh, struggling with drugs and alcohol. I've asked people who are uh, chasing success, and maybe they're a CEO in some large company uh, making lots of money. Uh, you know, I, pretty much across the spectrum, I'll ask this same question every time, and I'll say, you know, people either begin to do bad things or struggle because of one of three things. One of three questions. Their identity, their community, or their purpose. I want you to think about which one resonates with you. My identity, who am I? My community, or where do I fit in? Or my purpose, why do I exist? Why am I here? 
Which one of those resonates most with you? Typically, there's one of those, maybe it's a couple of them, that this is just resonates with you. But guess what? Jesus answers every one of those for us. He gives us a new identity. He says, this is who you are. And guess what? He, ter- he brings us into this new family, this new community where we are accepted and we are growing and we are loved. And also he gives us a new purpose. And that's kind of what we want to talk about today. So let's jump into Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going we're gonna to look at verses 1 to 10 here. But we'll start with uh, verses 1 to 3. We want to just start with uh, kind of my first point here is the world is dead. The world is dead. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the, uh, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says there in chapter one, or in, in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. Romans 6.23 says what? That the wages of sin, the result of sin, is death. And this is which we all once walked in, it says. And we continue to, oftentimes, in the flesh. And what does that look like? It says we were following the course of this world. We, that's not even a, a, a probably has, has to be a discussion. I don't have to convince you of that, right? Following this course of the world is not turning out to be a good thing in this country. And it doesn't anywhere, right? Following the course of this world, and guess what? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, we oftentimes don't want to recognize that there's an enemy out there. And he's, his name is Satan. And what is he doing? His goal is to lie, deceive, kill, and destroy. And he's using our sinful flesh, right, to, to then grab you and say, like, this is the way you need to go. This is what you need to follow. The worlds, that they offer something better. But we were, as verse 3 says, we all once lived like that in the passions of our flesh. And we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Think about that. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. How many times do the desires of our body and mind, even today, how, how many times can we begin to creep away from the things of God? Sometimes not necessarily into evil things, but away into things that just don't matter. Things that are not eternal. Things that are essentially drawing us away to begin to follow the course of this world. Thinking that those things matter. Well, I want you to understand something that there are people around the world who have never known anything different but to follow this course of this world. Justin and Miranda have probably talked to you about unreached people groups. 
Unreached people groups, meaning people who will basically be born, they will live an entire life, and they will die without ever having heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Do this with me. Every 1.8 seconds, someone dies without Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can save them. In the Libya area right now, we've talked about maybe, you know, in the town proper and a little bit beyond, I think we talked about maybe eleven to 12,000 people or so. And close to 10, around 10,000 of them, I think we just determined nine to 10,000 of them are lost. They too are living, you know, without God or far from God, without Christ. They too are headed to an eternal hell. They are dead. But you, (laughs) you, what is your identity? Who are you? How does Jesus see you? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Let me tell you, Satan wants you to believe that your sin, that the things that you've done in your past, that the things that are locked away so tightly that you've never told anybody, he wants you to feel guilty. But guess what? Jesus, what did Jesus, what, what was said to Jesus from heaven, from the Father, whenever he was baptized? He had no reason to be baptized, right? He was without sin. But when he came up out of the water, what did the Father say to him? In you, uh, this is my son. Or, or for each of you, this is my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. Let's, let's, let's have a paradigm shift. Our affections have changed. If you think about Colossians 3, I believe it is, where it says to put on the new self, right? It's almost like putting on the new coat or the new self. The reason he says that is because Satan wants us to believe we're something else. And we say, well, well, I still walk in the flesh. Yes, but that's not who you are anymore. The old is gone and the new has come. That's not, Jesus stands in your place. God says, in you I am well pleased. Put on the new self because that's who you really are. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. The world is dead, but we are not. We are alive. Romans 1.4 says, in him was life, Jesus Christ. In him was life, and, he, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is in you. In Romans 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, the light, shines in you, and the darkness cannot overcome it. We do not follow the world. We follow Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 4 to 7. So the world is dead, but we are very much alive. Verse 4. I love this because, actually, let's start with verse 3 because I love the contrast here. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Katie, what's that word? But, right? 
But God, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Isn't that amazing? He did this because he loved us. Even while we were sinners, he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. How many of people have seen a miracle? Every one of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right? You've been brought from death to life, right? That is a miracle in itself. Even as we go out and share the gospel, there is nothing I can do to change a a person's heart. That is something that only God can do. That's amazing. In fact, one of the things that when we talk about discipleship, I didn't mention it last night, but one of the things I like to talk about is that some of the greatest leadership, some of the greatest discipleship, is to live a Christ-transformed life before the eyes of those that you're leading to be transformed into the image of Christ. Because they're looking at you and they're saying, wow, wow. You look at Richard in the life that he lives. Look at Mitzi in the life she lives. But then all of a sudden, as you begin to disciple them, they're actually saying, actually, I'm seeing transformation in her. I'm seeing transformation in him. How is that possible? I thought he was already good. And it's because... Jesus is at work transforming lives even today, right? That, that, what you were just talking about there, Aslan, just that idea of that there's this constant transformation that's happening. And then those that you're discipling get to see that and be like, Christ is alive. He is real. He is not dead. So even when we were dead in our trespasses and made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And then, and then it says in verse 6, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, uh, uh, Mr. Pond, uh, I was talking about Mrs. Pond. Mr. Pond, a couple months later, actually experienced the same thing. And he was actually beat up to the point they brought him in thinking he was dead into the hospital in, in a little place called Pingwall we were living. And, uh, and so immediately I went to the hospital and we just began to, to gather in there. And of course, it's, uh, it was kind of more third world in that region of China. And so we, uh, there's going to be 15 other people in the same hospital room and, and uh, they don't feed them or anything. You know, you have to bring in their... The, uh, everything for them. So there's always families milling around there. And so here's this man, bandages all over him, and we began to come in there and sing praises. And almost like, you know, P- uh, Paul in, in, in the prison, you know, where they're singing praises, and then Philippian jailer, you know, comes to Christ. But we're singing praises, and we're studying the scriptures, and, 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 uh, and we're just loving on these other people. They think, why would you love on us? We're just, we're a stranger. You know, and out of that, we began to see, actually, the gospel began to be shared around this hospital. And, and Mr. Pond was saying, I guess I was supposed to be here so that the gospel could go out. And then eventually we were able to, after that, I, I took him out. And he went right back to where he was beat up for, the, for those people to confront them and say, listen, I was afflicted, but it was afflicted for a reason. So that you would come to understand Jesus Christ is worth it. I still follow him. You know, 
there's a there's a man I'm working with now and and uh, in in Cambodia and he's he's got uh, churches all across Cambodia and and he's really pursuing no place left really well there but this is a man that if you met him you just say he's the most humble of men and and he gets right down there with villagers that can't read and he's doing whatever it takes hand motions Bible storying, whatever it takes. He, he's doing that right alongside him. But this was a man who was actually one of the top generals in Cambodia. That came with money, power, prestige, women, the whole thing. And he found Jesus in one of his darkest moments. And everything changed. And Peter began to, he, he gave up everything to follow Jesus. And guess what he's gained? Everything. What does it say in verse 6? What does it say? What do we receive? And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is it? Ephesians 1, 3 maybe. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have received a full inheritance because we are an adopted child of God brought into the kingdom a brother, essentially, with Christ, who's also our Lord. That's amazing. That is phenomenal. We have all the spiritual blessings at our disposal. We talked about yesterday the, the, the Great Commission. We all, we all know it. Make disciples of all nations, right? Go, baptize, teach them to obey everything. It's bookended by two things that are so vital, especially when he's calling us to something that is impossible for us. But not impossible with God. It's booketed by two things. His power. His presence. All authority in heaven has been given to you. And I will be with you. Till the end of the age. Isn't that beautiful? It's so beautiful. Uh, a guy. Um, actually we went and uh, got some stuff started in Oklahoma. One of our, our, our hometown area. And uh, we went out and tried to share the gospel across the whole city. We were looking to get to no place left. We zoned it out into 22 different uh, zones, trying to raise up local ownership of the people there to take that on, to begin to share the gospel with their neighbors. And, and we found this guy, and his name was Zeke. And it turned out he was actually, uh, I'd gone to, to, to uh, school with his, his, uh, his father, and his father had gotten into drugs and, and messed up his life. And so Zeke had gotten into drugs and messed up his life. And two years prior to that, had gotten sober. And as a result, actually, uh, found Jesus. And uh, didn't really know what to do with that. And we stepped in and began to disciple him over just the course of a week. And he began to say, I am supposed to plant a church here. So we just began to work with him through that. And now, you know what he calls himself? Zeke Malik. The Jesus freak. And he walks around. So he just, I, I'm not saying that's the best entry strategy. But for Zeke, that's what he, he's ready to tell everybody that uh, this is what Jesus has done for him. So just remember, you guys have been given a new creation. You made, made into a new creation. You've been given a new identity. But you've also been brought in to this new community. You fit in here. You are a part of the family of God. You've been raised up. You're seated right now with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places, even though you're still living here. But he sees you as you're a part of his family. You have already received the inheritance that's coming to you. So receive this blessing. Recognize it is free, but was costly to obtain. 
So the world is dead. We don't follow it. We follow Jesus. But we are very much alive, but we also have a purpose. What's it say in verses 8 to 10? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? And this is not your own doing. It is what? A gift. It's freely given. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Verse 9 says what? That uh, so that, right? What is it? So that uh, not a result of works. So that no one can boast. Because there is nothing that we can do to earn it. There are cultures all across the world. Basically every other religion but Christianity is this. Work hard and do enough. Hoping that maybe, maybe you might do enough to maybe receive some hope. But guess what? I mean, we often even kind of lay it out and we say, you know, there's all these religions that are trying to get a ladder to go up to heaven. And they, none of them reach. None of them reach. None of them get there. And you live a life of hopelessness. But, but, but our God, with, you're trying to get to God. Our God came down to us. He sent his son Jesus Christ down to earth to live among us to show that to, that he could identify with us, that he could understand us. And then he died on a cross for our sins so that we might live. And how sh- why should we believe that? Because 3 days later he rose again from the dead. And he defeated our sin. That's why all that sin and all those things that you've locked away That's why Jesus died for that. It's gone. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. The prince of the power of the air that wants to defeat you, that wants to lie and deceive and destroy you. He's defeated it. He is no more. Jesus is the victor. He defeated sin, Satan, and he defeated death for us. You will live forever because of that. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. You know, what What does Genesis 1 tell us? It tells us that we are actually created in the image of God. We have a lot of non-believing friends and family, and you might look at them, you might say, but, but I see some good in them. Of course you do. We were all made in the image of God. There's an aspect of that that we reflect. We reflect pieces of God because of that, but we also, because of our sin, our our it's a, it's a marred image, right? But Jesus redeems all of us. We are his workmanship. He is working on you. He's molding you. That clay, the potter and the clay, right? Created in Christ Jesus. Through the gospel, right? That God mercifully gave to you. So created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Well, wait, I thought this wasn't about works. It's not. It's it's not about works. We don't have to work for anything. But when we receive grace, the free gift, the freedom now to experience a good and loving and wonderful master, we want to work for him. We want to share that good news with others. We were actually created for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
You see, you don't have to create. Any of the things that we're talking about of going out and trying to share the gospel with people and share with your neighbors and disciple others, we don't have to go create that. We have to be intentional. We have to walk in faith. But we don't have to create it because God has already prepared those works for us to walk in. His spirit is at work, and we're just finding where he's at work. And we're sharing the gospel, planting those seeds along the way, and looking for where is God already at work. You know, uh, I was thinking about it. That uh, So we, we, you have a new identity, right? You're a child of God. You have a new community. You are part of the family of God. You're seated right there in the heavenly places with him. And you have a new purpose. You are here to glorify God. I, I've been staying with Ben and Mitzi. And just so, been so grateful to you for your hospitality. And, and uh, there was a, there's a picture on their wall. of, And I got to meet Buck today. Buck is one of their hound dogs and got to meet him for the first time. But I was mesmerized by his picture. And uh, there's a picture of him on the wall. And, uh, and you can see him. And it says at the top, Buck's first bobcat. Like first, first bobcat that he's treated. Something. It was the first time he'd ever actually treated a bobcat. And if you look at Buck in this picture, it's just beautiful. So he's off leash at this point. He's free to run. He's free. And, and he is, I mean, he's howling up. To, he's got his, you know, claws on that tree. And, and, I mean, you could see he is excited. I am doing what I was made for. He's living out his purpose. I don't know if he's thinking about that, but he's living it out and he's loving it. He's free to live out his purpose. You have been free to live out your purpose. I was uh, in Nairobi not too long ago, and we were um, about uh, 18 months prior to that, we had uh, cast the vision for No Place Left, trying to get the gospel everywhere and just seeing who would respond to that. And over that next 18 months, we began to work with different people all over Africa and kind of determine, filter out who, who was good character and really, you know, had the right motives there. And then we invited them together from 13 different countries to, to really pour into them and invest in them and disciple them and really train them up as church planners. And many of them were already multiplying, but how would they multiply across the continent? And ultimately, the goal was to get to those unreached people groups. Many of you are familiar with the 1040 window, right? 1040 window, basically going from Africa, northern Africa, across the Middle East. And, ba- you know, you got most, most of your mother, Muslims across there. And then, of course, they're jumping up into to, to Europe, then going all, on over to the Middle East and then over into to South Asia, Central Asia. You get your, your Hindus, your Muslims. Uh, then, then you move over into your Buddhists of East Asia, uh, Indonesia, all out down there. So basically, all your unreached people groups, for the most part, are in those regions. So we were trying to cast the vision. We've got to get to no place left. We've got to go to those places where the gospel is not. We chase the gaps so that everyone has an opportunity to hear the gospel. So there's 600 million Muslims across the north of Africa and Middle East. How do we get to them? And so I had been in this training with people from 13 different countries. We spent six days 
training them. And uh, there was a man named John who had, he had been a believer about three months. So he was, he was fairly new, and he was starting to, starting to share his faith and actually starting to make some disciples. But he was really trepid uh, and, and really careful. He was wanting to learn how to be a church planner. And uh, so I took him out, and I said, oh, I'll take you out to go share with Muslims. And, and so we went, and I, of course, I, I'd never been there. I just said, hey, where's the mosque? So we went to the mosque, went, went there, and, and I said, let's go to the cafe. Meet me at the cafe near the mosque. Why are we going to the cafe? I said, well, because Muslims hang out at the cafe across from the mosque. Why don't we want to go where Muslims are? Yeah, 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 okay. So we go there, and I stepped out. We, we walked in, and, and, and I said, okay, now share the gospel with me. And he said, Why? And I said, because they need to hear it, and we don't know anybody yet. So he starts to share the gospel. No, I said, no, louder, louder. You, they need to hear it. And so then after he's done, I said, I said, now, I said, all right, and I'm going to share the gospel with you now. You know, that wasn't good enough. He was confused. I was like, no, they need to hear the gospel. This is not for you. So we keep sharing the gospel back and forth, and I said, all right, now we're going to walk out. And, and he said, why are we going to leave? I said, because we want to see who's going to follow where we're planting a seed and we're looking for where is God at work and so we walk out and we intentionally don't leave the area we kind of mill around kind of walk in there and and eventually someone comes out and they begin to walk around and they he, he he's really fascinated with what we shared and he begins to really engage with it and we're sharing for about probably 30 40 40 minutes and uh, and all suddenly this man begins to turn he begins to just kind of ridicule us and mock us and for whatever reason, uh, he just suddenly turned away. And so John was really distraught. And he was nervous anyway about sharing with me and uh, about sharing in front of me. And, uh, and, and so I just said, we're going to keep sharing. We're going to go to everyone that we can. And so eventually we end up in this place. And, and again, we're, we're, uh, there's these six guys that are gathered around. And uh, we're sharing with them. And I'm like giving John opportunities to share and kind of nudging him along, that sort of thing. And, uh, but, uh, and, and they began making fun of him too. And I said, keep sharing, keep sharing, keep sharing. And he said, Chris, they're not listening to me. I said, it doesn't matter. That's not our job. And so little did he know there was a man named Mohammed who was, I mean, he was uh, he was uh, disabled. He his knees from the uh, down here down were were severely disabled, and so he actually had uh, flip flops that he had put right here, and he would walk on his knees. And he was walking by us, and John was beginning to sh- was sharing the gospel there, and I was helping out with him. And uh, he finally, you know, kind of tries to draw the net. Does anybody want to repent and believe? And they all made fun of him, and we hear a voice behind us. For Muhammad, I believe. We turn around and, what? I believe. I'm, I came from Ethiopia two months ago. And my life has just never, I've been following Muhammad. I've been following Islam all these years. It's done nothing for me. Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the truth I've been looking for. So immediately, we began to, to share with him again and just make certain he had heard. And he was truly a believer uh, that day. Two weeks later, he was actually baptized by, after I had left uh, during that time. But, you know, what was interesting was um, after that, we, uh, you know, we, we 
worked with him some, arranged times to, to be back with him and disciple again. As we walked back to our car, John was like this. Yeah. He was like Buck. He, was, he had learned that, that, that he had a purpose and he could live that out. He was free to live out that purpose in his life. So I just want to conclude today by um, telling you a story. It's not a real story. Uh, I mean, it is a real story, but it's not uh, anything that I experienced. But um, there's a, there was a man named Mr. Yates in Texas years ago. And apparently uh, he had, uh, was about to lose his farm. Uh, had had some really tough years, and uh, so the bank kept telling him, hey, you've got to make these payments, and and eventually he said, I just can't make them anymore, and so they gave him a month, and they said, you're, 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 uh, we're going to take your farm and everything you have, all your equipment, and so uh, about the first week that that happened, he actually came, uh, there was a, there was an oil man that came by and uh, dropped in and said, Mr. Yates, uh, we'd like to uh, explore for oil on your land. And he said, uh, um, I mean, he was thinking in his mind, I'm going to lose it anyway. Why not? So he signed off some rights to do that. He would get something from it. And uh, three weeks later, right before the bank was to take it, I mean, it was a gusher. It was just thousands of barrels a day that were coming out. Overnight, Mr. Yates not only kept his land, but was suddenly a multi-multi-millionaire overnight. The question that I pose to you is when did he become a millionaire? Was he a millionaire when he bought the land? Or did he become a millionaire later on? See, the riches were all there underneath the surface all along. He just hadn't tapped into it. This is what you and I have today. The power and the presence of God is available to us. We have been made new. We are free now that we're in this family of God. It's eternal. He will never let Satan snatch us out of his hand. And we have a purpose to live out. So today, I just want to ask you, as we prepare to go into a, a time of worship here, I don't know if you guys go ahead and come on up or whatever. I just want you to, uh, just to, to, first of all, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, let me tell you, it's a free gift. It costs a lot, but it costs Jesus Christ. All you've got to do is believe that he died for your sins and rose again and then confess that to him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, what is it? For with the heart, one conf- uh, with the mouth one confesses. And it, somebody, somebody else knows it, right? <laughs> I don't remember. So, but, but the idea is that you're, with the mouth one confesses and is saved and with the heart one believes and, 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 and is justified. What does it mean? What? What's, what's it mean to be justified? That's right. Just as if I'd never sinned. Because of Jesus, we can live that way as if we've never sinned. Because that's exactly who we are.
because of him. So if you've never received Christ, now is the day. I'll be in the back. Justin, anybody, Jerry, uh, whoever, find somebody and say, I need to get right with the Lord. But if you call yourself a believer, Lord, now, now is the time. Learn to walk in the walks that have already been prepared, in the works that have already been prepared for you. All right? Thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Thank you for me getting to meet my brothers and sisters who I'll spend eternity with. So, love you.